0: This episode of Naval Gazing is sponsored by valleygivesback.org. Adding a Valley charity to your estate plan creates a lasting legacy that tells future generations what causes matter to you. Your action will inspire others to follow your lead and make a difference. With a planned gift, you have the power to impact the Valley community forever without affecting your current lifestyle. Learn more at valleygivesback.org, an initiative of the Valley Community Foundation. Plan now, give later and impact tomorrow at valleygivesback.org For
1: hundreds of years we brought you the news. For the info we gave you the clue. Market now threatens our lives. Post-literation, critical reading, dumbed-down nation. Signs have been reading TV sucking ideas from our head. Public discourse just about dead. We'll ride the dinosaur. Yeah, ride the dinosaur. Our readers are in the open each day.
0: Hey everybody, welcome to Naval Gazing, the Valley Indie podcast. My name is Eugene Driscoll of Valley You can follow this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, uh, and whenever you wherever you get podcasts. You can also follow the Valley Indie on Twitter at Valley Facebook.com slash Valley Independent Sentinel. Our guest today is Joseph Yauman. He is a candidate for the State House of Representatives. Uh, Conducting the interview will be Mr. Ethan Fry, the valleyindy.org reporter. Mr. Yaman, welcome to the show. Morning. Thank you for having me. Welcome back because you ran a couple of years back and we did this once before.
2: We have. Hello, Ethan. How are you? Good morning. Good. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. In the news this morning, good morning. Uh, And yeah, Eugene will be popping in with follow ups, I think, uh, (coughs) throughout the, the interview. And making yeah, sure when, that the mics something work. slips by me. Um, so thanks again, Joe, uh, for coming in. Uh, first of all, you were one of the primary forces behind the Ansonia Derby School Regionalization Committee. Uh, the committee's, uh, you're a member of it. Yes, sir. Uh, and it's studying whether regionalizing could save money without hurting education, um, yet Mayor Cassetti has already reached a conclusion, it seems, uh, when he says that he appointed you and the others uh, representing Ansonia because you're in favor of regionalization like he is. Uh, This was brought up by a member of the committee at its last meeting. Um, So how can people trust that the committee's work isn't biased, that you guys haven't? already reached a conclusion.
3: Well, I think to Tara's point, I think Tara's point was regarding whether or not there can be actual save, savings realized.
2: That's Tara or uh, the member of the yes. committee I referenced. Um,
3: and, I, and I understand that. And I, and I agree with her comments that it's a bit premature to you know, go out and say we're going to be able to reach this conclusion or that conclusion. I think the idea behind uh, the regionalization committee is first to study whether or not we can find those efficiencies to be able to um... deliver the same quality of education or a higher quality of education at a lower price and that's really what uh... the regionalization the temporary regionalization study committee is all about is looking at those things trying to gather as much information as possible looking at uh, you know and delving into all the nuances uh... between the two districts uh... i know there's some hurdles that we have to delve into and, and deal with and i'm sure we will when the time comes but we have two years it's gonna be a long study um, and I think at the end of the day, I think I'm, I'm hopeful anyway, that uh, we're going to come up with some ways, if not true regionalization in the sense where it's going to go out to referendum. Uh, we can utilize some shared services, bulk purchasing. So we can find better ways for our schools to be more efficient.
2: And as you mentioned, like if, if there's recommendations for regionalization, it'll be put to voters in both uh, and Derby. They would have to approve it.
3: That's correct. I mean, the way the process works is, yeah. There's a uh, we, we've now formed both board of aldermen approved a temporary regionalization study committee. Um, that committee has now been formed. We've had our first three meetings. I think at this point in time, uh, we're going to be looking into uh, retaining a consultant that will assist us with drafting a report, looking into various different things and gathering information. And once we have uh, been able to do that, my anticipation is that we're going. There's going to be certain subcommittees uh, to look into different aspects and and and. Including, you know, facilities um, dealing with uh, the no, you know, administration. What, what truly where the where the things are where there can be some efficiencies and whatnot. And uh, once that is done there'll be a recommendation. It's, it's actually about feasibility as what the statute says as to whether or not regionalization is feasible within the communities. And at that point in time, the recommendation will be pro or con towards feasibility with regards to regionalization. It would go to the State Board of Education. They would have the opportunity to review it, agree with the conclusion or disagree with the conclusion if they agree. At that point in time, it would go out to referendum, I believe within 45 days of their recommendation. So and- the voters would actually have the last say.
2: And one thing I've I've just heard in, the, in comments from people, on like online and in 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 person, um, in talking about that whole issue of regionalization, is they point to the lawsuit between the Ansonia Board of Education. And city hall over the Alderman cutting six hundred thousand dollars from the board of education's budget in January, <coughs> and they say, you know, look, Ansonia, like they, you know, just among themselves, they're they're suing each other. It seems like every day there's another strongly worded letter between lawyers on on each side. Um, I mean, is that like a mark against that regionalization effort? How is that going to be resolved, do you think? Will, will it take a, a trial to have a judge? Uh, I think
0: like Derby's concern that's been voiced is that, well, if Ansonia can't get along with each other, how are they going to get along with us?
1: Mm.
3: I mean, I I don't, it, it, with regards two sort of, qu- two questions there, really. I mean, first... Um, with regards to the litigation, I understand that there's motions that are scheduled for in November, motions for summary judgment, which will be um, decided on the, uh, on the merits of what the uh, in p- particular claim is, rather. And um, with regards to the issue as to whether or not it affects regionalization, I don't think so. Uh, I mean, sure, I mean, there's, there's issues. There's issues between every administration and and school board, I think. There's always tension there between funding and whether or not it's adequate. I think that's something that um, just the nature of the process, whether or not the the Board of Educations in each town have enough money or whether or not their request was met or um, depending on each particular town. I think there's always that sort of built-in tension between the But this one's
0: gone beyond that where you have the school district suing uh, the city and then daily... Lawyer written briefs attacking each other at this point. Uh, do you think that the, the the relationship there is broken? Is, is able to be prepa- uh, repaired? Can anybody just get in a room and sort of work out the differences? Because it seems to go beyond the annual "you
3: don't give us enough money" argument. Well, I would, I would agree with that. But, I mean, specifically with regards to regionalization, I don't think it's affecting the regionalization committee. I think the, those, those meetings have been sort of frank and positive in an, in an effort to try to see if there is anything that – if there is that efficiency um, pertaining to the question of regionalization. As to whether or not that relationship can be amended, I think it can be. I think there, there, it's going to take people – um, coming together at some point in time and having a discussion. I think the, the the legal question is going to be dealt with in court and after that, I think the the parties will get together and and see if there's something that can be done.
0: And we should mention that Mr. Yaman is running for the one hundred and fourth state House of Representative District. That is the seat that is currently held by Linda Gentile, who is
2: retiring after years of service to uh, the lower Naugatuck Valley. And at Ansonian part of Derby, the uh, district represents. Um, there's a primary happening the day we're recording this and hopefully (coughs) releasing it. Uh, who are you voting for in the Republican primary for governor and why?
3: Uh, Tim Herbst. I think he has what it takes to, uh, really come into Hartford and turn things around. So I've been supportive of Tim. I've known Tim for a while. Um, I like his stance with regards to reducing business regulations and really, um, trying to make sure that the taxpayers' burdens are reduced.
2: And any, uh, standout endorsements in the under ticket races? I mean, there's, uh, like a bunch of people running Sue Hatfield,
3: big fan. I've known her for a long time. Um, I've actually, I knew her in practice. I've actually had cases with her. So, um, big fan of Sue. I think her stances on most of the issues are right on. So.
2: And then I, I don't know, like when you said herbs, like this just springs to mind. Like we uh, we shared a letter to the editor on our Facebook page uh, endorsing Herps last week, and the comments were just flooded with people saying, like, "I'm from Trumbull, I'm a Republican, I hate Herps, they raise taxes, et cetera, et cetera." Uh, does that? Have you heard any of that sort of pushback? Um, talking to pe- other Republicans, or um?
3: I think it's a five-way horse race, and everybody's sort of. Barking and at everybody, the keyboard warriors are alive and well on Facebook, uh, commenting on everything. So I think you know it's it's when you have a five way primary, you have a lot of people vying for every vote they can possibly get. And um, I think it's a I think it's a horse race between Mark Boughton and Tim Herbst at this point in time. I think those mm. are the two front runners, and I think ultimately one of them is going to be the Republican nominee tonight. Will you support Boughton if he wins? Or? I'll re- support the candidate that comes out of the primary
2: absolutely all right there's no there's no like there's no candidate you'd you'd never support or like whoever the voters decide i would agree with that i mean it's
3: it's about it's about going into hartford there needs to be a change um our state has really been going in the wrong direction for a long time i said this in our podcast in 2016 Um, I think we need to be more focused on relieving the taxpayers of their burdens, relieving businesses of their burdens, and making sure that, you know, people want to stay here. I mean, in a recent Sacred Heart poll, I mean, the the top two issues are taxes and the high cost of living. And we have to reduce both of those things in order to maintain the stat. you know, and make people want to stay here in Connecticut. So.
2: Uh, you're an attorney uh, who often defends people accused of crimes so we'd like to hear your take on this according to the New York Times in June President Trump said that those who cross into the US illegally should be sent back immediately without due process or an appearance before a judge do you agree
3: I think immigration is a federal issue I don't think that is something that impacts the state I mean with regards to my opinions I think I, I you know I have represented many people who have not been American citizens. So I, I, I will say this: is that when you are accused of a crime, I guess, from my perspective, is it's difficult to defend a person who is not from this country, knowing that there's going to be an ice detainer levied on them and they're going to be sent back. Um, I believe in due process. I believe a person should be have the right to um, at least make a claim. Um, before an immigration judge as to whether or not um, they have a valid reason for crossing the border whether or not it's political asylum or whatnot to try to stay in this country so
2: and then you you mentioned you know it's a federal issue but there there have been stories this year about uh, agents from immigration and customs enforcement detaining illegal immigrants at state courthouses in, in Bridgeport New Haven so it sort of dovetails like do you support those actions do you you know, Do you think they could hamper criminal investigations when you have a, like, is there a chilling effect uh, that immigrants could feel about, you know, coming forward to report crimes, things like that?
3: Absolutely. I I completely agree with that. I think that it's one of those issues where um, it certainly has a chilling effect, makes people not want to show up to court, whether or not they're a defendant or a victim, if they think there's an ICE agent. I mean, I've heard those rumors, too. I'm in the courthouses pretty much daily. I've never seen an ICE agent other than on official business coming there for a particular detainer or trying to pick somebody up. So I can't speak to whether or not that's actually a reality um, because I haven't seen it personally.
2: And then just on this uh, last one on this issue, do you think the so-called sanctuary cities such as New Haven should lose federal funding?
3: I think that if you are going to violate federal law and refuse to adhere to it, I think at that point in time, there should be some penalties. So I don't support, you know, I mean, I understand if you want to change federal law, I understand if you want to change federal immigration policy, um, I think there should be a pathway to citizenship for people that are already here. Um, but to have mayors around the country trying to defy federal law and saying we're not going to cooperate with the federal government, I think it's problematic. So I do think that there should be some penalty for that.
0: And I have just a quick follow-up. Do you see illegal immigration
3: as a problem uh, in Ansonia or Derby? I don't think so. I mean, I, I, I'm sure there are people that are undocumented living here in the, in the valley, living in Ansonia and living in Derby. Um, do I think it's a problem where it's running rampant? I don't believe so.
2: Okay. This, uh, a, a 2016 survey of Connecticut businesses, this is from the Yankee Institute, by the way, showed that <coughs> 79% of respondents said business costs from government regulations and mandates other than taxes, hampered their firm's ability to grow. Uh, are the, what are some of the government regulations that can make it tough to do business here?
0: Hi, this is Eugene Driscoll, most likely interrupting myself to bring you a message from our sponsor, valleygivesback.org. Adding a Valley charity to your estate plan creates a lasting legacy that tells future generations what causes mattered to you. Your action will inspire others to follow your lead and make a difference. With a planned gift, you have the power to impact the Valley community forever without affecting your current lifestyle. Learn more at valleygivesback.org, an initiative of the Valley Community Foundation. Plan now. Give later. Impact tomorrow at .org.
3: Well, I mean, for one, the business entity tax. Uh, we pay a business entity tax just for existing. At this point in time when that paperwork can be filed i mean we have high costs for filing paperwork i mean when you have to consult an attorney before you can open a business it leads to you know high costs of just even starting a business and it hampers you know people's ability to actually do it if you want to be an entrepreneur and start a business i mean you, you you should you should have the ability to get into the marketplace without being you know having to Dish out two to five thousand dollars to make sure you can uh, be in that position to actually go to the marketplace. So I, you know, I, I would agree. I think if that poll was taken in twenty eighteen, I think you'd actually have higher. It would actually be a higher percentage. So. And know,
0: what about like some of Governor Malloy's efforts over the last couple of years? The Fast Five yeah. uh, initiative got a ton of
3: press. Government <coughs> welfare, though. Excuse me. I'm sorry. I inter- I coughed on your answer. That's all right. What government welfare? I, I mean, I, I don't. I don't think that the government should be handing out money to businesses if you want to offset it by um, agreeing to not implement or to have a reduced tax or are doing things like that over the course of um, a period of time i think that's fair you give businesses the opportunity to move here to move to to connecticut or to a particular town or municipality um, and you offset some of those upstart costs by reducing the tax burden over a five-year period, over an eight-year eight period. I'm all in favor of that. But when you start actually taking taxpayer dollars and handing out three, five, ten million dollars to try to keep large corporations so that they can uh, meet certain obligations and, pr- and they're promising to you know, hire 2,000 people and then immediately after receiving that and two years later those, those people are being laid off because the company has taken the tax dollars and run with it. I, I, I just don't think that's good policy.
2: Didn't the city do that with Farrell, though? They said, we'll pay this million dollars to build a road into the Fountain Lake Commerce Park to basically, like Farrell was saying, that they would go to Oxford if that didn't happen? Well,
3: that was a a conjunction. I think that the the municipality worked with the state and, I believe, the federal government in trying to get that road built, and that was um, for infrastructure and I'm okay and build building infrastructure to have businesses come in but that's not what we're talking about here we're talking about the fast five or the fab 5 fast 5 whatever it was called um and that is specifically giving money to um, large corporations for the and giving them and telling them that they have to hire 500 people 200 people um, with the promise of 5 10 2 million dollars whatever the incentive is to have them do that it's a little bit different if you're bu- if you're planning for the long term that lo- that road uh was was built up at Fountain Lake, not just for Farrell necessarily, but for also those sites, the other sites up there to be available to other developers.
0: And what if you're elected, uh, what are some business friendly uh, uh, laws or bills or initiatives, tax incentives that could specifically get businesses to economically development starved Ansonia and Derby? What, what are the biggest stumbling <coughs> blocks and what
3: can the state do to help? Well, or state, uh, state lawmakers, I mean. I mean, small businesses, let's reduce the entry costs. Let's reduce the business entity tax. Let's reduce the how much it costs to file to uh, open an LLC. Um, let's make it more user-friendly. Let's make it more online um, so that these, paper, th- th- these things can be filed quickly. Um, startup costs are low. Um, and allowing those small business owners. In terms of larger businesses, I mean, I think that the economic development that Ansonia is doing um, is – kind of the right track that's exactly what we need to be doing we need to be working with cooperative you know I mean the mayor announced last night um, working at copper and brass trying to um, retain an economic development corporation under the new statute that was just passed uh, with regards to a land bank which is a, a basically another cooperative where the state um, local government as well as a private court development corporation can come in take possession it reduce a lot of the liability on the private company Um, But they can then try to remediate um, utilizing federal, state dollars, state grants um, to try to remediate a lot of the contamination and environmental problems, um, making that property get back to market faster.
0: Is that sort of Ansonia's biggest hurdle? And I guess Derby to some extent, you've
3: got contamination in these old factories and, and nobody wants to foot that bill. Yeah, I I mean, I think it is. I mean, we talked about that in our 2016 podcast a little bit, um, talking about, I mean, at that point in time, I was in favor of the legislation for the land banks, and it finally passed. Um, I know... uh, Representative Gentile was very supportive of that um, as well. Um, I think that is I don't think that's necessarily a partisan issue I think recognizing that a lot of these old communities in the valley and other places um, Have old factories that need to be remediated and uh, and dealt with for environmental contamination and whatnot and I think clearing a path to allow an economic development corporation to come in and reduce their liability Um, in terms of the environmental contamination and allowing investors to come in and put money into that and to receive federal monies in terms of grants and state monies in terms of grants. I think that is the way to get these properties, a lot of them, back on the tax rolls.
2: Uh, Another one about the state economy. Do you think public sector unions are crippling the economy? Should we reopen state employee contracts to rein in long-term pension and benefits liabilities?
3: I think there's a there, there's a high cost. I mean, they're, they're they're estimating in this next biennium budget that there is going to be 50 percent fixed costs, and that is in terms of how much b- money has been bonded to date, as well as, <coughs> excuse me, the continued and rising costs of the State Union contracts. Um, I don't take the the stance that other Republicans have taken. I think that there's certain promises that were made to employees that were there knowing the tier system. And I'm not familiar with all of the nuances, but I understand that certain promises were made and people that have been on the job for 25 years have certain expectations of what their pensions are going to look like. And I think you have to do your best to honor those agreements. Um, At the same time, I think there's there's a certain reality that you have to face is that if the state's fixed costs continue to rise at the rate they're going. they're not going. We're not going to be able to pay for anything else. So I think the everybody sort of has to go into the situation with open eyes and sit down and say, hey, how can we fix this together, working together? I think people are really tired of the uh, of the bickering back and forth about a lot of this stuff, and I think they need people that are going to roll up their sleeves and get to work. And that
0: brings me back to the situation happening in Ansonia between the Board of Aldermen or Mayor Cassetti's administration and the Board of Education and the superintendent's office where uh what have you done to sort of roll up your sleeves and try to tackle that problem uh, uh to resolve it uh like i like, like i said before there has been a lot of uh, back and forth uh, and mm-hmm. maybe people on the local level are, are growing tired of the <coughs> of the animosity there
3: well i don't really want to speak to any of the pending litig- litigation but i mean what i can say beforehand is that there was uh meetings That took place in January and March of this year um, with the Board of Education, both myself and uh, Alderman Stowe, um, as co-chairs of the uh, Education Subcommittee for the Board of Aldermen, trying to work with them towards shared services, regionalization, we had some fruitful conversations. We actually interviewed a couple of consultants at one point in time, um, you know, specifically with regards to regionalization and where we were gonna go with that, um, but also more so on the shared services side. I know that um, in in talking to the mayor's office, they're very open to uh, working towards shared services with the Board of Education, if we could have that conversation. We had it in March. Um, I think everybody would be more than happy to have it again. It's just a matter of sitting down and and getting the parties to do that. I mean, there's been a lot of animosity thrown back and forth. So, I I mean, unfortunately, you know, I think people want to get everybody in a room and and talk. And I think that there's more than enough people on both sides that are willing to do that. But it's just a matter of, uh, you know, having the legal questions decided first, I think, before you can really um, get to that point. Yeah, and I guess the, the
0: state education department has said several times that we're getting really into the weeds locally. Uh, but they've said several times that the board of aldermen uh, were not authorized to take that six hundred thousand dollars away. And you may be repeating yourself, but do you support? Uh, I mean, you voted f- to remove that money. Is that correct? Because I don't. Correct. In Jan- in, January in January, and then again in June.
3: We, okay. we, the vote took place twice.
0: Um, and then I what's your uh how do you uh explain or how do you I don't want to say defend but how do you
3: defend that move? Well, I again I, I mean it's it's pending litigation so it's tough to I mean I I can just give you sort of my the background. Vote, I mean it's the a vote public with record regards i think the public act particularly section 266 speaks directly to that i mean i think and explain what that is for people who don't oh uh, it, it, it basically authorized because i mean we were put in this position i mean i think a little backdrops probably necessary but unfortunately uh last year the state budget was not passed until very very late um leading to this sort of problem um at the time we, as a board of aldermen, going and having been a member of the finance committee at that point in time, had a lot of discussions about where we were going and what we were going to do with regards to the municipal budget, um, knowing that there were likely was not going to be a state, state budget that was passed. So we had no idea what we were going to be receiving in municipal aid. We had no idea what we were going to be receiving discussions with the Board of Education um, with regards to what their budget request was at that point in time um, they did not believe that they were going to be receiving any grants the Alliance grant specifically um, which led to a, a lot of collaboration by both parties and I, I would say I think we've worked very well on that finance committee with the Board of Education trying to realize what their what their ask was what their minimum was to make sure that they could keep all of the services in place um, and ultimately, we decided to vote on a budget um, as a board of aldermen that was what we believe the, the worst case scenario under, the, uh, under where we were with the state and not knowing what the state was. Fast forward about four months later when the state finally got around to passing a budget, and we were actually, we actually received this, the Board of Education received their Alliance grant money. Um, they received uh, additional monies as well, I believe. Um, and, the Alliance, and for anybody who doesn't know, Alliance
0: district money is extra cash from the government because your schools are very low performing.
3: Correct. Yes, and um, at that po- at that point in time, um, the discussion was had during the finance committee meeting. The discussion was had um, at the at our board of aldermen meeting in June, I believe, of twenty seventeen. That if when and when and if the state uh, did pass their budget and the alliance grant money was there, we would re- we would take a look back at the budget depending on um, what the circumstances were. Um, the public act passed that allowed the municipalities to take a look at them and to reopen their budgets if necessary. If necessary. If necessary to adjust, and that's what we did in January. So
0: that and kind of leads side, up to it. The, 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 the other the, side is saying you can't do that because it's alliance district and has special uh, attachments that and the, prevent you from doing so.
2: They said like the the state law that allows the um, towns well, just, to go back into their budget specifically mentions alliance districts. I mean, there's a dispute over you know where like one the different section mentions the it lawsuit, and the other yeah.
0: section doesn't. And let's talk politically now because I would I would think that uh, if I was r- your opponent or uh, a member of the Democratic Party trying to win the seat for which you're running, I would say, well, you're anti-education. You are not giving the- You have the school district and the professionals saying, <clears throat> we need this money uh, to-, to do what we need to do, which is to educate the children. And instead, we're laying off teachers and we're in a screaming match with the Cassetti administration every day. How would you respond to that? A flyer that said, Yauman anti-education.
3: I don't think that's the case. I, I mean, I think I, I think my track record shows, you know, trying to promote regionalization, trying to find better efficiencies and quality, at, um, promoting it through regionalization, shared services. I mean, I was on this podcast in 2016 talking about how I think the state has done a poor job in funding ECS dollars and coming back. I mean, the 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 reality is is that I've never heard a board of education say they don't need more money. So at the end of the day, um, there's always that, like I said earlier, between municipalities and boards of education, there's always that stress as to whether or not that's enough. It's not enough. Um, ultimately, it's the you know yeah you have to look out for the taxpayers when you're sitting on the board of aldermen. Uh,
0: Do you think? And this is my last question on this topic because sure. uh, it might not be of interest to, to statewide, but. Uh, should, would you support the removal, or do you think there should be a change at the top of uh, the school side? Should the superintendent position—should someone else be in there at this point?
3: That's up to the Board of Education. I'm not going to get into their politics. That's up to, that's up to them. I understand um, at a recent meeting, I think they just extended some contracts. I know the superintendent may have been one of them. I'm not sure I wasn't at the
2: meeting, so— there's a petition that went around calling for her to be removed. If, if somebody knocked on your door and asked you to sign that, would you sign it? Right. I
3: haven't yet. Again, I think that you what I, was, I was not, but I, I mean, that's one of those things. I think that's up to the board of education. Ultimately, um, we had a petition presented to us, um, and I don't think that's a member of you know a job for a member of the board of aldermen to comment as to whether or not the school district's um, superintendent should be in that job
2: and then just really quickly the you mentioned that there's going to be a a a scheduled hearing in november in this lawsuit uh, motions for summary judgment um is do you anticipate a judge you know ruling on that and then i mean is it wouldn't there still be a a trial scheduled and that's not going to happen until october 2019 and all these layoffs and everything those will have those well, have already happened by now. So,
3: procedural procedurally motions for summary judgment deal with the legal issues. So, whether or not there's, an, if there's no issue of material fact, um, a court can ultimately reach um, a decision with regards to this motion for summary judgment. Otherwise, if there are facts in dispute, um, there would be a, tr- a trial on the merits. But ultimately, on the legal question, I believe it's November 13th or 14th of this year. I think so so once a judge
2: makes that ruling, do you anticipate it'd be more of an impetus for the, the, whoever loses that to basically compromise or seek to settle it? I
3: mean, there's always the, the, the,
2: the losing party can always take an appeal. But
3: I mean, I, I think at that point in time, I think it's an impetus to get people to the table to try to work things out and come to some reasonable compromise, ultimately.
2: Okay, and as, as you said, you were here two years ago, and you will have answered a lot of these questions, but for people who didn't listen back then, uh, just some background, If uh, where were you born and raised? Uh, what did your parents do, education, siblings, family?
3: I was born in Brooklyn, New York. I uh, grew up in a town called Mayapack, New York. I uh, came here for law school, went to Quinnipiac, uh, moved down to D.C. briefly, where I met my wife. I uh, moved back to Ansonia, moved to Ansonia roughly late 2004, been here ever since. I'm um, an attorney by trade. I own a small practice, Drap and Yauman down in Bridgeport. Uh, it's myself a partner and three associates um, and some support staff. I'm um, the oldest of five. I have two brothers, two sisters. My father was the uh, director of data Global Data Telecommunications uh, with Seagram's in New York and then Eli Lilly out in Indiana for a while. Um, they've both since retired, and or my mother's on the verge of retiring. Um, she does p- uh, payroll for a company here in Connecticut, but they both reside in Ansonia.
2: And how, how long have you been a Republican, and what made you choose the Republican Party?
3: We talked a little bit about this in 2016. I was uh, I registered as a Republican, I believe it was late 2016. 20- Fifteen, um, and I think it's just in th- where the state has gone, um, I agree. I find myself agreeing more and more with uh, Republican policies, and um, you know, sustainability and predictability. I think that's what it's all about. I think the, uh, the Democratic majority in Hartford has done a terrible job raising taxes and really making and driving up the cost of living here in the state. And I think we need more people that are going to go to Hartford and fight against that.
0: And then I guess, and I probably asked this. Uh, a couple of years ago too but i'll just ask again uh are you republican enough for uh the republican naugatuck valley if i am uh, now there's like there's the, uh, you hear them called trump republicans uh, some of the things you said about uh, illegal immigration might not work or might not be seen as favorably from uh, sort of a hardcore trump republican uh, my words uh, but what do you? But you ran previously. Uh, yep. b- what is your take on that? Because I mean, in the governor's primary, we've heard like Mayor Boughton isn't Republican enough. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, so I'm, if somebody hits you with that tag, you know, Joe, you're 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 late to the po-
3: Republican Party. I'm the Republican nominee, so if I'm not Republican enough for it, then I think the uh, the, the Republicans should you know, I guess, wouldn't have given me the endorsement. Uh, I look at it like that. So, I mean, you asked me how I would label myself in 2016. I said I'm pretty independent. Um, I think of myself that. I think good, I- good ideas come from both sides of the aisle. Um, I don't necessarily agree with all of the platforms the Republican Party has. Um, I certainly don't agree with all of the platforms the Democratic Party has, I think. People can come together and, and work towards an issue. I mean, regionalization, going back there really quickly, You know, I, have, I worked with Representative Gentile um, with regards to that. She's supportive of doing this study and determining its feasibility. So am I. Um, I think anybody that looks at this issue and just realizes, look, this is the future. We have to. We, we, studying something doesn't necessarily mean you support it. I, I can't say right now as I sit here with that I'm going to be 100% in favor of regionalization because I don't know what it looks like. But I think, you know, working together with people and having an open mind and and recognizing that, look, just because it's a democratic idea doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. I mean, Ned Lamont went on the uh, at the gubernatorial debate the other night, said that, uh, you know, commended Derby and Ansonia for their
2: regionalization efforts. So, I
3: mean, I think that's I didn't realize that.
2: I missed Uh, that. I I didn't watch that. Thanks, Ned. I just saw the thing about him. Thanks, Ned. I appreciate it. Wouldn't support Ganem. But But this
0: is interesting. Are you going to go to the partisanship? Yeah, yeah.
2: I mean, you mentioned partisanship and then like just hyper locally uh, with respect to that you're a, you're a member of you know team cassetti quote unquote yet a lot of <coughs> ansonia republicans say the mayor and his team are bullies like alderman phil tripp one of your colleagues on the board of aldermen, republican he uh he's commented publicly that it, it comes down to quote kiss the ring or get the boot mm-hmm. and doesn't it like the fact that the uh republican town committee was uh the, the longtime chairman was recently uh, ousted in favor of David Papson, a close ally of the mayor, who's now running in a, a primary against longtime registrar and former mayor Nancy Valentine. It Doesn't that lend credence to, to Tripp's point or I argument?
3: So. I, I think there's some disgruntled people out there that have their personal animosities and they try to make it more than it is.
0: What about, uh, going on that, on Ethan's question there, we had uh, the president of the Board of Aldermen, Lori Vaccaro, in here for a podcast about Charter uh, Revision Commission, and uh, towards the end of the podcast, uh, I didn't really think of it, anything when he said it, but some (laughs) comments on on Facebook have been pointing out, I basically asked him, you know, on Charter Revision, shouldn't you bring in people who have an opposite point of view, to sort of, since it's the city's future and the blueprint for for the little mini-democracy here, isn't it good to get people from the other side and exactly
3: what we did last night
0: well well because he had said though that well no we don't want people who want to take the city backward uh sort of indicating although i didn't ask this as a follow-up meeting well democrats we don't need to take a walk uh, oh, and is, that, is that is that plays the point. type of is that that isn't that the type of sort of attitude that we see that people are growing sick of and can you get anything done i don't think so way? and i don't
3: think that was what laurie's point was and i don't want to speak for him but my, i i think it's the mentality that we should go back 10 years to where Ansonia was. And I don't think anybody wants to do that. I think we need people that are going to focus on the task at hand um, and move things forward. I mean, the mayor last night, uh, announced um, one of his proposals for charter revision would be minority rep- representation on the board of aldermen. I think that's a fantastic idea. I mean, one of Just my explain what that is for people uh, who- being that there should be not only one. You know, right now we have fourteen uh, aldermen. Um, of those fourteen, all of them are Republicans. This would allow, um, with a charter change, to have um, a certain number of Democrats, whatever that is, as charter revision works through its process, to make sure that the minority party, whoever's not in power with the majority on the board of aldermen, would have a voice. And I think that's important. You know, one of my favorite aldermen, Pat Henry, now retired, um, made that in his departing comments. You know, that was one of Pat's things, that he was a very big proponent of minority representation and making sure that everybody has a voice. And I think that's very important. I agree with the mayor. I agree with Pat. I think that was probably more to Lori's point. Uh,
2: On another topic, in terms of uh, guns, do you support the law that made ownership of bump stocks a felony in Connecticut? I don't. Any reason that you'd I'm like to? Pro Second Amendment. I believe, you know, I, I received
3: the CCDL endorsement in 2016. I'm hopeful to receive it again in 2018. Um, I just think that as you continue to impede unlawful gun ownership, I, I, I don't see the point. I think it violates the Constitution.
0: Even like the bump stock, which was, I guess, an accessory, uh, not exactly a weapon, but an accessory that made a weapon better, I guess, so to speak. I've and never it got had that full support. Uh, in the state, from what I saw in the state law.
2: And I think the NRA supported the bump stock ban, if I'm not mistaken. But it, it basically makes it like you can't have a fully automatic gun, and the bump stock is a way to try to sort of get around that to make a gun. Well, let's just, more, I'll just play devil's advocate yeah, yeah.
0: here. If I'm uh, your opponent or somebody that uh, thinks we need some type of sensible gun control or sensible gun laws is sort of the the phrase that's always used. And uh, they might s- listen to that statement saying, "You're against uh, making the ownership of bump stocks a felony." Well, that's that's gun nut territory. That's too right wing. That I just can't live well, with that. How do you? I,
3: I think I would respond to like this. I think I said, you know, in 2016 when I was on here, I said I think legislation should be cool. I think it should be calm, and I think it should be logical and reasonable. And every time we have a, a, a quote-unquote tragedy. Um, around whether or not it's hyped or it's not, there is knee jerk legislation that is is put on is proposed, and 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 I and I just think that you need to take a step back. I think lawmakers should be looking at things from a big picture point of view as opposed to um, whatever is the issue uh, in the news that day. So, and I think that's my, my would sort of be my reaction is that I think that you need to you need to focus on those things. I mean, we have bigger fish to fry here in Connecticut than trying to ban bump stocks. Uh, we have an economy that's failing. We have people that are leaving. We have a high tax burden on our citizens, and everybody's complaining about it. So I, 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 you know, I'm I'm knocking a lot of doors out campaigning, and very few people ask me about bump stocks, but every single person asks me about when are you, what are you going to do to reduce the costs on me. What business. about the
0: – did they talk about the Second Amendment? You had mentioned that you, you've gone to a bunch of and have the endorsement of. I did. Uh, I don't what have that's it That's right the Connecticut now. Carry. Oh, you had it in the
3: previous when in you ran against In the previous race, yeah. Okay, and
0: that's the so. CCDL is the Connecticut Carry.
3: Connecticut Citizens Defense League. Defense League. It's a nonpartisan okay. organization that's uh, uh, pro-2A.
0: And do you hear that when you knock on doors? Is Sometimes. that something that.? I mean, you,
3: you see the bumper stickers, and, and, and you have people that ask you that question if you're endorsed by the CCDL or if you are a member of the CCDL. So. Do you own
0: uh, weapons yourself? I do. And was that a, like a lifelong thing growing up in Mahopac?
3: Um, as an adult, no, not in New York. Yeah, that's New York tough. regulations are uh, a lot tougher. But I haven't, I've, you know, since about the age of what? 19, 20? I don't think I've lived in New York. I've been came here for law school right after college
2: and like that you mentioned like you know you have to be calm and, and cool about changing laws and stuff and you, you hear that sometimes after uh, a mass shooting it's like oh it's too soon to think about it you know it's too soon in the heat of the moment but isn't the the, the counter argument i guess is like with the laws we have it, it's always too soon because these mass shootings are so frequent maybe we should get maybe
3: we should get serious about addressing mental health in this country and in this state, I mean, what we've what we what we've seen is that we want to pass more gun regulations, but we don't want to fund mental health, uh, and, and we need a massive overhaul of our mental health in this state. Yeah, what in, do you see as it, um, an
0: attorney? I mean, you're a defense attorney I primarily. So I do a
3: lot of uh, criminal defense. I do a lot of DCF defense. Um, so I. You, I guess you could say I battle the state on an everyday basis.
0: And what what could the state be doing more? I mean, is, is are mental impairments and mental problems something that you're seeing in the people you represent sure. all the time? And and what what's lacking right now? Well, I mean, what, uh, what would you do to change
3: I, with regards to substance abuse and mental health? There's the, as the funding levels go down, and as the not-for-profits aren't re- aren't able to receive as much in state money. Um, you see less and less services available for people that are dealing in the criminal justice system, dealing with DCF issues. Um, and, you know, I, I just think that if you're going to try to restrict other people's constitutional rights, you should be out there talking about, okay, what can we do to help people um, that are dealing with, you know, uh, bipolar disorder or so other mental health issues that are causing them to really, be in the system in the first place, so I mean I, I can just speak from you know from my legal career. One of the issues that strikes me is that we re- really need a truly need a reform of you know mental health institutions in this state. I can tell you, having dealt with n- numerous different cases um, all over the state, when you deal with what's called a fifty-four fifty-six D or a competency hearing, um, if a client is suffering from serious mental health issues um but he understands that if you commit a crime that's wrong and then a judge is the one that would sentence you to jail he's competent in the eyes of the law so what do you do with a person that um, is schizophrenic what do you deal with a person that is dealing with um, serious mood disorders um you know there's only there's only so many there's no place for him to go um, and if he doesn't have housing, um, there's no facilities available to him. So you really don't have the ability to, to help that person like you'd like to do as an advocate. And I've been in that position many times, trying to find beds, find facilities that are willing to take them. And there's just a, a real lack of it here in the state. It, how, how do
0: you change that? Is there uh, any laws or any, like, where would you, I guess you could fund uh, transitional housing or something like that? But so, how Something that?
3: like that, I think, you know, I mean, I think that there's got to be... Issues with mental health and addi- the Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services. I think they have to be given the opportunity to sort of develop and recognize in the criminal justice system and in the child protection system and in the juvenile delinquency system. There's a lot of people out there suffering from mental health. And as we continue to recognize and identify these people, and we've gotten a lot better at that, but we just don't have the resources thereafter to try to get them back on the tra- on track. And I think you need to work with agencies like that uh, and find out what their needs are. At this point in time, and I, I can only tell you as an advocate wishing they were there delving into it with, you know, some of these agencies and saying, what would allow you to develop these types of things? And maybe it maybe it's a matter of private, privatizing more of these facilities or allowing, you know, this more of this stuff to go out to bid under certain um, subdivisions of the Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services. I don't know, but I can tell you, Waterbury, Bridgeport, Stanford, Norwalk, Milford, New Haven, there's a severe lack of them throughout the state
0: and if i'm somebody who uh i'm schizophrenic and i commit a crime and, and you're defending me and what do they do with me i mean do i just get thrown in jail and and that's like the that's well,
3: that's my treatment basically is uh, that well what essentially i mean essentially you you you're left with the mercy of the court at that point in time and the, and the discretion of the state's attorney that's really what it comes down to you have to um do your due diligence as an attorney Uh, whatever evaluations need to be done, uh, making sure they see the right providers, making sure they see the right doctors that can properly diagnose them, whether or not they're dual diagnosed or not um, with substance abuse and mental health, because usually there's a lot of self-medication that leads to the criminal justice system, but just trying to work with those people to find the right fit and then taking that information, presenting it to the state's attorney, um, allowing them to hopefully use their discretion or presenting it to the court in terms of an ultimate sentence.
2: And with or just with with respect to like mass shootings, um, like I, there's people with mental health issues in every country on earth. I, I would I would I'm pretty sure. Yet mass shootings are extraordinarily rare in every other country except the United States. So is it are they just so much better at dealing pe- with people with mental health problems, or like do don't, don't doesn't gun control come into it somewhat?
3: I, again, I, I think lawful gun ownership um, should not be restricted. Uh, it, you know, it comes down to if you're going to, uh, we talked a little bit in 2016 about permitting and having a process where people could, you know, um, if there's mental health issues, there's been a lot of laws that have passed recently. You know, if you feel um, at this point in time, you have to turn in your guns if someone files a, a you know thinks that you're threatening them, um, at, you know, and ask for a hearing before the judge. So, I mean, there's a lot of ways to take people's guns away at this point in time already, and we continue you know we continue to try to restrict that as opposed to dealing with the issue. The issue is mental health.
2: Uh, should the state income tax be repealed? Do you think?
3: I wish it could be. I don't think that's a. I, I don't know if that's a reasonable and feasible idea at this point in time. I mean, I think as I understand it, about 30 to 38 percent of all of the state revenue comes from the income tax at this point in time. So maybe if there's a, a plan to phase it out over the long term, um, but there, uh, to, to say that on day one you're going to repeal the income tax, I don't think is realistic
2: um and like i've seen posts that you've put made on like facebook and stuff saying you're against tolls uh if tolls don't work why does every other state in the northeast have them including you know where republicans control government and don't gas taxes <coughs> fall disproportionately on connecticut residents while people from out state outside the state could just drive through without paying anything for the upkeep of the roads we
3: talked a little bit in 2016 about this as well and um, i know you're a big proponent of tolls ethan um i'm not necessarily let me put it to you this way i think the issue with tolls is is that it's just another tax And if that's how it's going to be utilized, if you put up tolls near the close to the borders, you're going to lose about $500 million a year, as I understand it, in federal aid, federal transportation dollars. So you have to be, those tolls have to be generating more than that. So, and we already have the seventh highest gas tax in the country. So are we talking about reducing the gas tax? I don't think we are. We're talking about just another tax and and implementing tolls. We have a transportation lockbox amendment that's going to be in the ballot this November. Um, I support that wholeheartedly. I think it should be tougher. I don't think it's enough. I don't think the you know the General Assembly should be raiding the transportation fund. Um, I think it should be solely dedicated for that. But you know the idea of tolls is that if you're going to be offsetting that by reducing other tax burdens, okay. Well, now we can have a conversation. But I haven't heard a single person say that. Not Democrat. I'm not a go- gubernatorial candidate, so.
2: And then we're coming up on time, but just quickly, uh, you mentioned that Sacred Heart poll talking about uh, people saying that, you know, they're going to leave the state and it's hard to do business in the state. The same poll found majority support for legalizing marijuana. Do you support that as well?
3: Not as a revenue mechanism. I mean, I think at the, at this point in time, I mean, I'm pretty independent. I, I, I tend to lean libertarian with regards to certain social issues um, and say, you know, just to let the, let's get the government out of our business. Um, I'm all for the uh, – I'm for – all the good government we can afford. And the problem in this state is that we can't afford much more and we can't allow government to continue to grow. So if we're going to legalize marijuana and use that strictly as a revenue source, uh, no, I don't necessarily think I'd be in favor of What that. if it was a break-even proposition? Like, what what if we just
2: be- legalized it and didn't tax it? Would that be? Okay? Just de- decriminalize it? Well, it has been decriminalized, but like legalizing it for recreational use. Well, it's
3: decriminalized to an extent; it's still considered an infraction. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, at that point in time, if we're going, if we're, if we're going to just say, well, you're still dealing with a federal issue. Uh, I mean, it's still con- classified by the feds as a narcotic. Why I don't really understand, but it, it, at at the same time, I think that you you know, if if we're trying to do it at this point in time, and my, all of the proposals in the legislature the last session were for essentially as a revenue generating tool and that's not how you're going to get Connecticut back on track. If you're going to, if you want to just with, you know, repeal the laws that say that marijuana is illegal, well, there's, there's a thought.
2: But you, you, are not supporting that. You're just, I mean, you'd consider voting I would in consider favor of that. I, okay. I mean,
3: I, I think that i have to do a little bit more research on it, but you know. What about
0: for medicinal purposes and, 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 uh, what do they call those things, distributors, to whatever they're...
2: Dispensaries. Dispensaries. And production facilities. Yeah. Which will I'm all for Being research. researched in, in Ansonia, actually.
0: You know, medical research. That's something that's happening here yeah. in the
3: city. as we. And, I, and, I, and I, I, I am all for that. I think it is whatever medical advances we can make from whatever source, I think we should be looking into that.
2: And then uh, $15 minimum wage. What's your position on that?
3: I don't think uh, a minimum wage benefits businesses. I think that it actually hurts businesses. What we're going to do is we continue to uh, you know, increase the minimum wage. We're hurting small business owners. We're hurting taxpayers. Because um, ultimately, as businesses have to pay more for one particular employee, um, they're going to end up automating or doing other things that are going to ultimately uh, lead to less jobs in the economy. So I would not support that at this time.
0: And then I guess we ran a little bit long for which I apologize. But to close it out, why don't we just turn the floor uh, over to you, and you can talk about where people can find out more information about your campaign, yep. and then just basically why you're running, I suppose. Although, feel free to take a minute to say whatever you want. Okay.
3: Um, I have a website, Yaoman 2018 J-A-U-M-A-N-N, 2018.com. I'm also available on Facebook at that same uh, yauman Twenty Eighteen. So uh, they can find me there. There's a lot of posts on Facebook. There's a lot of information on the website already. Um, I'm knocking door to door, leaving palm cards with my phone number on there, my email address. Um, They're available both on, I believe, on the website as well as on, on Facebook. So people can contact me with any specific questions. I'm happy to answer them. But the reason I'm running is I think just Hartford's going in the wrong direction. I think two largest state tax increases in history uh, have driven a lot of people out of here and um, made the cost of living here. And for businesses, just way too high. We need taxpayers need some relief. Uh, we got to go to Hartford and reduce the burdensome regulations. we got to go to Hartford, and we have to reduce the tax burdens on the taxpayers and make this place more business-friendly, Connecticut and the Valley in particular. We've done a lot of that in the Valley. Ansonia's had a lot of growth recently, and we need to take that that momentum here in Ansonia and bring it to Hartford.
0: Okay. Mr. Yaman, I want to thank you for making a return appearance on the Valley Indy podcast. I do appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. and uh, on behalf of Ethan Fry, this is Eugene Driscoll. We'll see you next time. For
1: hundreds of years, we brought you the new-